0: yeah you know one of the hardest things to do when you finish one study is to figure out what you're going to study next the bible's so loaded with uh, material it's like what what should we choose to do and so as i was praying and thinking about uh getting things started i was just looking across uh in my library i got a wall of books there in my office and uh looking at it and thinking is there something there that could just kind of s- spark a little interest and uh and the Lord just kind of directed me to a little book that I read years ago uh, on Elijah. I picked it up and I read through it and I said, yeah, that would be a good, that would be a good lesson to, to go into. And I'm not doing it just the way that guy wrote the book. It just, it just kind of gives me some ideas as to where to go. But here we are. We're going to look at the life of Elijah. Now, what do you know about Elijah? You're, you're the, when you think of Elijah, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? He's a prophet, right? That's a good one. He's, a, he's one of them pretty major prophets that we, that we study in the Bible. And there's another guy who came behind him. His name was spelled a lot like it, and that was Elisha. Well, we'll touch on him a little bit in this study. But uh, Elijah, he, he was a fiery prophet. He reminds us of one uh, that foreran Jesus, uh, Elijah, and John the Baptist kind of dressed a lot alike. Uh, they weren't cousins or, or relatives or anything like that, and they didn't even live at the same time. But if you'd have set the two side by side, you'd see a lot of similarities, wearing rough cut clothing and kind of wilderness type men. Uh, I can imagine they had thick beards, and I can imagine that they wore heavy clothing and, and, uh, and were uh, a little bit more of the country style of people rather than city people. Um, Elijah was a fiery prophet. You know that he called down fire on Mount Carmel. You know that he also rode a fiery chariot when he went to heaven at the end of his life when God called him home. There's a lot of things about Elijah that we know. He got fed by ravens. He he went to the brook Cherith and he sat there and he waited for the ravens to bring him food. And uh, just amazing things. A bold man. But the Bible also describes him as being a man who was like us. And so I, what I want to do tonight as we begin a study, and it's going to be about an 11-week study, um, we're going to look at the, kind of lay the groundwork for the life of Elijah, the setting into which he came into the picture. And uh, and then we'll build upon that as we go through the study, different lessons that he learned, different comparisons to our own day uh, that I think will will, uh, will help us as we live in a world that's a lot like the world that Elijah lived in very simi- very many similarities as I as I studied it out uh he, he's one of those great bible characters that everybody remembers and and I don't know of anybody who doesn't like him especially the boys really like Elijah you know he's one of those adventure kind of guys you know and uh so he's one that uh, that a lot of the young men really seem to want to emulate He made a big impact. He came out of nowhere, and he made a big impact on the kingdom when he confronted the king, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, for their sinful ways. And we'll get to all of that eventually. But his day was a lot like our day. And if you look at page 2 in your notes there, you'll see that a lot of similarities. There's a day of pluralism is what it was like. Pluralism. It's a word that we don't use a lot. But basically, when you think of something plural, you think of more than one, right? And not, not just single, but plural. Uh, when you use pronouns, there's singular pronouns and there's plural pronouns, which talks about more people than just one person. And so this is the idea of pluralism. What is that? It's the idea of all these different religious ideas are all going on at the same time and they're all Okay. It's the idea that my truth is as good as your truth. You have your truth, I have my truth, and I'm going to build my world on my truth, and you build your world on your truth, and I won't bother you, and don't you bother me. Do you ever hear that in our world today? Well, that's a lot of what was going on here in Elijah's day. And uh, we'll look at that. Now, Elijah, again, was in the northern kingdom of Israel. And we'll get to how that all happened. We're just going to kind of review a little bit of Israel's history and how it came to this point. But the seeds of this pluralism began long before Elijah's day. Now, Israel became a pluralistic religion when it began to kind of reject God is what happened. Um, If you remember, way at the beginning of Israel's history, Let's just, we won't go all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Let's go back to the day when they left the land of Egypt out of their captivity. They'd been in captivity for 400 years and they headed out into the wilderness to go to the promised land. And, uh, and Moses had gone into Egypt and said to the Pharaoh, let my people go. And, uh, and God, God directed him to do so. And then they headed out into the wilderness. Well, here now Moses is leading a, a, a nation of a million people through the wilderness. They're living in tents. They're constantly on the move. And they need some form of government to kind of hold all of this together. And so God gave them the law, the Old Testament law, those two stone tablets that Moses was up on top of the mountain. God gave him other laws as well that went along with this. And, and those initial, these Ten Commandments and all of those things... That was the law that ruled Israel. That was the law by which God governed these million people that were wandering through the wilderness. This this was the, the law of the land. And God himself was the king. They call it a theocracy. There We had no pluralism. We had one God and only one God and one law and only one way. And that was the way Israel was to be. They were to follow the Lord. But then you'll remember that over the years God directed Moses to uh, build the tabernacle and that was all, all the worship was to take place around the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the offerings, uh, all of the incense and all of the worship was centered around that. It was in the middle of the, 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 all of the tribes of Israel and as they moved from place to place the temple was always right in the middle of wherever they went. And so God was the center of Israel. God was the center of it all. God was in charge. One religion, one God, one way. And that was the way God wanted it done. But then over the years, Moses passed off the scene. And then, you know, Joshua stepped in and and led. He'd been following Moses and he knew all the laws. And uh, he knew the way that God had provided for Israel up to that point. And he led Israel for a while. And then God took Joshua off the scene, and God sent in some judges. And these judges came in and ruled over the land. Uh, The 13, 12, 13, 14 judges, something like that. And they they came in at different times throughout Israel's history. If you remember the book of Judges, what began to happen was Israel began to do things their own way. Everyone did according to his own thinking and so the nation of israel went into captivity god allowed that to happen and he would send judges to them when they repented and they would be delivered and come back and they'd be all right with the lord for a while then they'd fall back into sin and over and over again this judges cycle that you read about in the book of judges and then we get to the end of the time of the judges and you have this man named samuel who was kind of a combination judge combination prophet And he was was a very unique individual that God brought in. He had a little bit, he grew up in the the, uh, tabernacle, in the worship there. So he's kind of like a priest as well. And he was the leader of Israel. And then as he was getting ready to step off the scene, he wanted to set up his sons to be the judges that took over Israel. And Israel said, no, no, we're not going to follow those men. They're not godly. They're not like you. We don't want them. And they began to say, well, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like all everybody else. We want to fit in with what everybody else is doing. And so they went to Samuel and basically demanded a king. Well, king, so, uh, Samuel was, was upset by that. And he went to the Lord about it. And God said, no, it's all right. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And then God permitted He allowed Israel to choose their first king. And so then we have the united kingdom of Israel under the guidance of the man who was taller and tanner and more terrific than everybody else, King Saul. And uh, he started off very humble, but then he got arrogant. And before you knew it, he was walking away from the Lord and and his heart turned away from the Lord. And he got into trouble. So God had to remove Saul. And you know how that happened. He was killed in battle. His sons were killed in battle. But before that, God had said, all right, there's a young man who is faithful to me. And he is a young man who loves me. And he will follow me. And he has a heart for me. And he's the one that I want to be the replacement for Saul. And King David steps up to the throne. And Israel is rising to its pinnacle. Yes, they have a human king, but this human king is walking with the real God of Israel, uh, G- uh, God, the God of heaven. And, and the nation is coming together, and, 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 the, and then David gets a heart and says, you know, for all these years, we've been worshiping God in a tent, and I have a nice house. I think God deserves better than this, and he decided, and he talked to the Lord about it, and he wanted to build a temple. And he talked to Nathan the prophet, and Nathan told him to go for it. And then later on, God said, "No, David, you're not the one. You've been too busy uh, fighting battles and killing people and doing things like that. We do not want a man of battle, a man of war, to be building God's holy temple." But David was then able to uh, to uh, pile up all of the all of the supplies and. And much of the wealth that was needed and the stone and the gold and the riches uh, that was needed to build this temple. And God placed it also into the heart of his son, Solomon, to build this beautiful temple. And when Solomon built this temple, that was the pinnacle of Israel's, uh, in Israel as a nation. They have this united kingdom. They've had three kings now. Solomon's the last one. And, and he asked for wisdom. God gave him Wisdom. And uh, God gave him riches, and God gave him honor, and all the nations of the world came and recognized Solomon as being the wisest man and recognized the beauty and the glory of God's temple. And so God was exalted during these times. But he was the centerpiece of it all. Remember, he was the centerpiece. It was God. It was all about God. Well, then Solomon began to take on political wives from the Gentile nations all around him. And he took on a lot of wives. And he began to live for sensuality. And he started living like the book of Ecclesiastes describes rather than like the book of Proverbs describes all the wisdom of God. And he started to experiment with all sorts of things. And he got turned... The Bible says that his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. And these Gentile wives who come in... Don't just come in with their beauty and their clothing and their riches and their political clout. They come in with their religions as well. And so the seeds of pluralism were laid during the days of Solomon. When compromise took place for political reasons. And the nation of Israel then begins this long decline from the days of Solomon. So, uh, we go on to the next page and... We can see what happens after this. Solomon had a son. His name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, you know, was a foolish man. And uh, he was getting ready to take over his father's throne. And Rehoboam was given a decision to choose the advice of either the old men or the young men. And he listened to both groups. And the older men said, take it easy on the people. Solomon about taxed them to death. You need to take it easy on them. And if you'll take it easy on them, they'll follow you. And the young men said, no, you show them how strong you are and tell them you're tougher than your dad was and you tax them harder and you get more money out of it and you rule with an iron fist. And, uh, of course, that all turned against him. And, of course, God because of the beginning of this pluralism that was sneaking into Israel, where their hearts were being divided from God. Yes, they still had the temple. Yes, they still had temple worship. Yes, they had those things. But they were also allowing these other side religions in the same nation. And the nation was being divided spiritually because of compromise. These things happened. It's why it's so important that we stay diligent in our personal lives, that we stay close to the Lord, why we as a church need to stay close to the Word of God, why we as a church need to stand for truth, why we as individuals need to stand for truth. And yes, we do love the lost, and yes, we do care for their souls, but we have to remind them that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we need to let them know that all their religions and all their good works and all of the other things that they're counting on will not get them to heaven and that it destroys a relationship with the one true God whom they really need to know. So it's important that we learn to take a stand when everybody else is saying, my truth is good as your truth. No, it is not. My truth is only good as long as it lines up with the truth and that is the truth that comes from God's word and God himself. This is why we need to read our Bibles. This is why we need to know our Bibles. This is why we need to stay true to what this book teaches and preaches. So I hope that you've already made up your mind this year to read your Bible through. If you haven't, make up, make up your mind to do so. And, and listen, it's not a contest. It's not a race. If you can't, if you, some of us read faster than others do. I had one lady tell me one time, Pastor Dan, you read really fast. And I, and I probably was reading fast that night because I was looking at the clock going, we've got to get through this. Uh, but but we need to we need to read enough to know what God's word says, but we also need to be able to meditate upon it and let it sink into our hearts. So find that balance between rushing through your Bible reading and 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 getting to understand what it is saying. So read as you comprehend it as you read so this beginning of compromise and the beginning of the fall of the nation of israel began during the days of solomon even while it was at its peak what a sad thing what a sad thing pluralism will destroy us if we allow other beliefs to come into our own lives if we allow it'll destroy our nation if we don't get returned back to god we need revival that takes us back to the god of israel the god of abraham isaac and jacob the lord jesus christ now on page 3, you have a map there. I just want you to see it so you can take a look at it. I got this out on one of my Bible programs. I think it comes from the Moody Bible Atlas or something like that. And uh, I thought it was an interesting map. You'll see there in, uh the left-hand column or left-hand corner the, the, the in, in pink, you've got Judah. That is the southern kingdom. That is what was retained by Rehoboam. Because after he decided to come in with that iron fist, he divided the nation, and part of the nation went to the north to, you see the blue area called Israel. That is the northern kingdom. In the south, you have that pink, reddish area. That is two tribes that followed and stayed faithful to Rehoboam. The kingdom to the north, the blue area, Israel became known as the northern kingdom. Those are ten tribes that rejected Rehoboam and went after one of his servants, Jeroboam, and allowed Jeroboam to become the king. Now another thing I want you to see as you look at that map, look in the, blue, and look in the pink section there for a minute, up in the top of that area called Judah, you see the, the town of Jerusalem, right? That's where the temple was. That's where God placed his temple. That's where God wanted it to be. That's where David, the city of David, this is where Solomon set up headquarters for all of Israel. Notice this, if you put both of those nations together, Judah and Israel is kind of centrally located, right? So what a perfect place for, for a, a capital city, for a nation of Israel that was united. But when it was divided, the nation of Israel in the north did not was it was not within the boundaries of where jerusalem was the main thing uh, that was in jerusalem was not only the king's palace but the temple where worship took place now jeroboam who's now ruling in this northern kingdom he has quite a mess in front of him what am i going to do am i going to allow the people in my northern kingdom to go down to the southern kingdom of judah so, so they can worship the lord and basically his idea was, no, we still want to worship God, but we're going to do it our own way. Again, compromise taking place. Now, on the right hand, just right of the map, you see there's a kind of a, 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 a little area that talks about the southern kingdom of Judah. There, the southern kingdom of Judah has it has, has some highlights and some low points. You have many kings over the history of this divided kingdom who were ruling in the south. And some of them were good kings. They, they followed the Lord. They followed the word of God. And when they did, Israel thrived. And then they would turn away from the Lord. And then and then it would go down a bit. And they would have a bad king. And they went back and forth between good kings and bad kings and good kings and bad kings. In this study, we're not going to look so much at the southern kingdom. We're going to look at the Northern Kingdom. Now turn the page to the next side. Oh, and the map as well. I want you to see this. Well, let's go to, let's go to the Northern Kingdom on the, on the next page. The Northern Kingdom, again, was ruled by Jeroboam. You have Rehoboam to the south, Jeroboam to the north. And Jeroboam decided that he was smart, and he decided that he was going to try to work towards keeping his nation together And one of the big things that held held nations together is what they believe religiously. And he did not want them to be divided by going to Jerusalem, so he decided that he was going to set up two golden calves. You see the pictures there. Uh, Two golden calves. They were a lot like the golden calves. You remember in the book of Numbers when Moses was up on the mountain and he was there for a long time and he didn't come down and didn't come down and didn't come down and the people gathered all their gold earrings and all this sort of thing and brought them to Aaron and Aaron says he threw him into the fire and out came this calf. That's not the way it worked. Uh, but, uh, but that's what he tried to say. And uh, Moses came down from the mountain and the people of Israel all worshiping around the golden calf. So I think that's kind of where the idea of the golden calf came from. Why a golden calf? Why a calf? Why not a horse? Why not an elephant? Why not a zebra? I don't know. Why not something like that? Well, because what were they when they sacrificed to the Lord, what did they bring? They brought bulls and they brought oxen to the Lord. And so the golden calf represented the worship of God in the northern kingdom. Now, that's not what God said to do. That was not God's way of doing it. It was Jeroboam's man-made religion so that he could say, I'm worshiping God, while in fact they were worshiping an idol. Now, where did they set these up? Go back to your map on page 3 and you can take a look there in the blue section that deals with Israel. And there were two of these golden calves set up. One of them, just north of Jerusalem, just across the border into the northern kingdom, is a little town called Bethel. Bethel is an important place. It was part of Jacob's history, part of the history of Israel all along. But here it's part of the northern kingdom oh also look to the right of that and you see the town of Jericho we'll get to that in just a little bit I just want you to see where these places are those were in the northern kingdom but Bethel is one of is the, the southernmost points of the northern kingdom you've heard of north and south Dakota they're both north right but one's south of the other one right? this is the idea here you've got the northern kingdom and the southern part of the northern kingdom and that's where Bethel was that's where one of those golden calves was placed. Why? For convenience sake. The people who are in the south, they could all go that way and go worship there without going to Jerusalem. They could get close, but they didn't get to Jerusalem. And then you have to the north, way up to the north, all in, the, in between the pink or the pink uh, of Aram or Syria and, the, and uh, Phoenicia to the left, you have the town of Dan. I like that name, but I didn't like what they did there, okay? Dan is the place where they put the other golden calf. So that the people who lived in the northern part of the northern kingdom would have a place where they could worship. And so they would go up there. So you see how he, he made religion a convenient thing. He made it a tolerant thing. He made it a beautiful thing. These golden calves, I'm sure, were not ugly things. And he also did something else He didn't expect and require what God required for uh, the priests who led that worship. The priests who led that worship were supposed to be from the tribe of Levi. But he said, no, we'll just take anybody who wants to do it. And so we're going to make it convenient. We're going to make it a matter of popularity. We're going to make it a matter of being nice to everybody. And where you were excluded before under God's old laws... You can be a priest now, because that makes you happy, and you want to do that. You see, he's rejecting God's truth for Jeroboam's truth. He's saying, my truth is as good as God's truth. And wow, is he ever wrong. After that, the time of Jeroboam, that northern kingdom, all those ten tribes up there... Not one, not one of those kings were good men. Not one. They were all idol worshipers. They were all rejecting God. They were all living by their own truth, their own way. They allowed pluralistic religion to seep into the northern kingdom and adopted it and made it the norm Rather than the worship that God prescribed in Jerusalem of the one true God. Everything was tolerated. And later on we'll see that everything was tolerated except the truth. Except the truth. Isn't that like our day? Isn't that just like our day? You can say anything you want to say, but don't you preach about heaven and hell. And don't you try to tell me that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And don't you try to tell me that Muslims are going to go to hell and those who reject Jesus Christ are going to go to hell. No, no, no. That's not nice. That's not proper. We won't tolerate that. That's the way we live in. That's the world we live in, isn't it? That's the world we live in. So, let's look in page 3, and I'll read there from 1 Kings chapter 12 what Jeroboam was thinking and what his religion was. Uh, In the middle of page What is it? Page four. Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if these people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two golden calves and he said unto them it is too much for you to go up to jerusalem behold thy gods O israel isn't that what aaron said in the wilderness about the the calf in the wilderness behold thy gods O israel which brought thee up out of the land of egypt no they didn't and he set the one in bethel and the other he put in dan dan and this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan, and he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. Again, it's a copycat religion that tries to be very much like God's way of doing things, but it's just enough off to not be true. Anything less than the truth is a lie, folks. He made it like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar, and he burnt incense. Now, there's more to this idolatry that went on besides this. He also allowed, at the bottom of the page, you see these these figures on the right-hand side, the bottom bottom corner. Those were Asherah idols to Asherah. Asherah was a fertility goddess. Everything about this Asherah goddess was sensual and 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 supposedly attractive in that way. And if they didn't have the skill to make a statue that was sensual enough uh, they just would build, they would just carve a tree into a pole something like what a woman would look like and they would worship the Asherah pole in the King James they call these groves, you read about them in the day of Gideon, you read about them in the day of Ahab, you read about them in many different places in Israel, these groves these groves were not just oh we're just going to go out in the, wor- the tree and out, out into the woods and worship these groves were Asherah poles, Asherah uh, places of worship for the goddess, the false goddess Asherah. So, I couldn't tell if that was a sneeze or an amen there for a minute, but it sounded more like a sneeze. But anyway, so we have now in the northern kingdom a plurality of worship of, of, of a start a starting. You have the, the worship of the calves. Now you have the worship of the Asherah poles. And you're going to see that it declines even more from there. Now, there was a prophet named Ahijah who spoke out against, uh, against Jeroboam. Jeroboam had a son who got sick and, the son, and, his, and he sent his wife over to this prophet to see what was going to come of his son. And she disguised herself and, uh, and God had told Ahijah that she was coming. And so you go ahead and tell her you know who she is and tell her what God has said. On the top of page 5, you see the prophecy that Ahijah made because of Jeroboam's choice to live with pluralistic worship that was divided against the, the, the one true God. In 1 Kings chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, Ahijah said, The Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the wind, and he shall root up Israel out of his good land which he gave to their fathers, and shall scatter them beyond the river. Because they have made their groves, this is those group of trees, they're carved to Asherah poles, provoking the Lord to anger. And he shall give Israel up, that's the northern kingdom, because of the sins of Jeroboam who did sin, who made the nation to sin. This ungodly wicked leader led the entire half of his northern kingdom into idolatry. Matt Recker made a comment here in, the, in that little orange box there that described what happened after the day of Jeroboam. Remember, Jeroboam was the first of the kings of the northern kingdom. All the other kings followed in his steps. They all continued with this calf worship. They all, to a certain degree, allowed the pluralistic worship to continue in the northern kingdom. And the result of that was the judgment of God. False religion, mass murder, suicide, and drunkenness characterized the royal line after Jeroboam all the way through until it came to Ahab, the most wicked of all of them. Ahab was the king who was ruling over the northern kingdom of Israel when that hairy bearded ruffian from Tishbi shows up and says, it's not going to rain until the Lord says so. Elijah. This is the nation into which Elijah stood. Now, we admire Elijah because he stood for truth. But in many ways, he stood alone. And that's why I want to study this. Because we live in a day much like the day of Jeroboam and the northern kingdom of Israel. And you and I need to make up our minds to stand like Elijah did. Stand for the God of Israel. Stand for truth. Tell the truth when nobody wants to hear it. Well, Jeroboam passed his idolatry on to his son, Nadab. Nadab ruled for a short time. You can read about him in 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 25 to 31. He didn't reign for long. In the charts, you can see how long these different kings lived and uh, how long they ruled. And uh, he was murdered by... Ba- Basha, B-A-A-S-H-A, Basha or Basha, however you want to say that name, and he murdered not only Nadab, the son of Jehosh- Je- son of Jeroboam, he murdered all of Jeroboam's sons, just as Ahijah the prophet had prophesied. God was going to take him out. God was going to take his entire kingdom out. God was going to take his his mon- his uh, di- dynasty away. And then Basha became the king for a while. And then he turned it over to his son, Elah. You can read about him in First Kings chapter 16, verses 6 through 14. And he only ruled for two years before his son, or Elah, and all of Basha's sons, the one who murdered Jeroboam's kids, was killed by somebody else. You see how these this wickedness just ran ran rampant in this northern kingdom a military leader who served under Elah named Zimri came in and wiped out Elah and wiped out all of Basha's other relatives so the Basha dynasty was wiped out by Zimri well the children of Israel didn't like that and so they went after him and they decided that they were going to set up someone else to be the king. Of course, they couldn't make up their mind who they wanted to be his king, so they took out Zimri and replaced him with a man named Omri. And some of them didn't like Omri, so they re- they added another guy named Tibni. I call him Tiny Tibni because you don't see much about him anywhere in history. You don't see much- he didn't even make the chart here. Uh, he's- he was not there very long. And Omri steps in, and he wipes out... Actually, he didn't wipe out Zimri. Zimri took care of that himself. Zimri saw that, the, that he was not popular among the people, that he was not accepted by the people, and so he pitched a fit, and he went into the royal uh, palace, and he killed himself and lit the place on fire and burnt the house down on top of him. See what these judgments come up, the judgments of God coming on these wicked kings. Omri takes over, and Omri is a builder. and he He goes in and he makes a deal with the people of the land, and he buys a town, and he turns it into Samaria. Now you've heard of Samaria, right? Remember Jesus went and saw the the Samaritan woman at the well. All right, and Samaria then becomes the capital city for the northern kingdom. Look back at your map, and you can kind of see where that is. It's kind of in the middle. Uh, of of the blue area they're off to the left uh, below the orange uh, Phoenicia Uh, right in that area near Mount Ebal and all that and that becomes the capital city and that becomes the center of of more vile activity that takes place in the northern kingdom and Omri rules for a while Builds a lot of things, and then he turns it over to his son. He's established wealth. He's established his kingdom. He's established himself. He allows the golden calf worship to continue. He allows the Asherah worship to continue. And then his son named Ahab comes in. Omri was worse than any of the kings before him. And Ahab comes in, and he's even worse than his dad. Ahab was one of the most wicked kings. And for the next 22 years... Ahab has the firm grip over the northern kingdom of Israel. And in the process of gaining that notoriety as king, he decides, like Solomon, to make a political alliance with the Sidonians. On the map, they're up on the left, are the Phoenicians, yes, Sidon is in the center of Phoenicia. And he brings in what he considers to be the most beautiful woman in the world. And we know her as the most wicked woman in all the Bible, named Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel formed not a loving relationship. They They were not in love with each other. It was a political relationship. She got things from him and he got things from her. And all they did was feed on each other. And so now what's happened is he's bringing in a Gentile queen into the Jewish nation of Israel and she brings with her not only her, rich, her wealth and her political clout and her beauty, whatever that was, she brings Baal worship in. So now the pluralism of religion is growing. Golden calves, Asherah poles, and now Temples for Baal are established. What a horrible thing that they brought in. Now, let's go to the next page. 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to page 6 now. Verses 29 to 33. In the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and 2 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, a group of those Asherah poles. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Ahab and Jezebel were extremely wicked. They rejected God completely. They wanted to do things their own way. They had noticed that this city off to the east of of Bethel was still sitting there kind of barren and run down. A place that had once been a mighty city. A place called Jericho. They said, why are we leaving that place in ruins? And he gave a building permit to a guy named Hyl. And Hiel was given permission to go and rebuild Jericho. Big mistake by Hiel. Big mistake. We won't read all of this there in the the middle of the page. In Joshua chapter 6, look down in verse 26, right below the break. You remember Jericho. That was the city that Joshua and the children of Israel marched around with the trumpets. And on the last day they shouted, and the walls fell down, right? And then Joshua under the leadership of God, placed a curse upon Jericho. Look at verse Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26. And Joshua adjured him at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son he shall set up the gates of it. So they're going to start the foundation, and the last thing you put up in the city goes is the gates to keep people out. Right? We'll look at 1 Kings chapter 16, what happens at the bottom of that page. In 1 Kings chapter 16, after Ahab had given Hiel permission to build Jericho because he thought there would be some material gain for that, some wealth, some tax base for his nation. In his days did Hiel the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn son, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Sigub, according to the word of the Lord. Which he spake by Joshua the son of Nun. Hiel fell for Ahab's wicked way of thinking, and he lost all of his sons in the process of doing something for Ahab. And fighting against the prophecy of God. Remember this at the bottom of that page, there's in, in those black that black box. The word of God stands true. Never doubt it when God has spoken it will come to pass and Hile learned it the hard way and Ahab didn't care at all he got his city top of the next page the living God hasn't changed and he's still very jealous and he doesn't like it when we allow something else to come in between us and him when we turn our hearts away from him, we are setting ourselves up for judgment just as Hiel did and just as Ahab did, just as all of those other kings of the north did and the wicked kings of the south. You see, we believe in a day where religious pluralism is tolerated. We tolerate, toleration is the word of the day. Tolerate everything. Tolerate it all. Put up with it. Accept it. Tolerate it all except the truth. The truth that speaks of sin and judgment. That speaks of salvation only through Jesus Christ. Which speaks that there will be judgment if you disobey God's word. The most hated people in our world today are you and me. The ones who speak truth. Because we're speaking on behalf of God. Ahab and Jezebel were ruled by ambition. And anybody who got in their way they were going to take out including the prophets of God. You can read down there later on in the middle of that page where a man named Obadiah had to work at saving some of the prophets of God that were in the northern kingdom. And he was hiding them in caves, and he was feeding them with bread and water the best that he could because Jezebel, that wicked queen, that, that, that Baal-worshipping woman, was leading armies to destroy the prophets of God and take them out. Now, who's tolerant? Who's tolerant? The religion of pluralism is the day in which Elijah stepped in. Now, at the bottom of the page there, you read about Elijah and you know his story and you know about the fire and you know about the chariots and you know about all those things. He was also one of those, he was one of the two men in all the Bible who'd never died. You've got... Um, Enoch, in the Old Testament, who walked with God and was not. And you've got Elijah, who was taken up in a fiery chariot without dying. Elijah, later on, was allowed to be on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ. Him and Moses talking with the Lord. And because of that, we tend to think of Elijah as being some kind of a superhuman person. Well, look at the next page page number eight James the apostle had something to say about Elijah that ought to really encourage you and me believers James chapter 5 verses 17 and 18 Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit You need to understand, you look at Elijah and you say, he was powerful, he was mighty, he was a great man, and he was. But not because he was a great man, and not because he was mighty, but because he served a great God. And you and I can serve the same God. We know his word. We live by his word. We believe everything he has said. And we trust him to take care of us when the whole world seems to be against us as they were against Elijah and those prophets of his day. But as we walk with the Lord and we trust and obey, we can have victory as Elijah did over the next few weeks we'll be studying this thing tonight we just set the stage in the future we'll see the recognizing the brevity of life acknowledging the presence of God remembering that God always wins determining to stay in the fight remembering who has sent us passing the faith to the next generation training future leaders remembering the, that eternity looms before us knowing that there are difficulties in faithfulness and then leaving behind a legacy and then I left you with a map that kind of gives you a a study if you want to take a look now and get familiar with the life of Elijah and where he lived. May the Lord give us the courage of a man like Elijah. It's not within us. It's not in us ourselves. We have to walk with the Lord as Elijah did. We have to pray like Elijah did. We have to trust God like Elijah did. And then we must speak up for God when he says to speak up. Father, I thank you for this lesson tonight. And the beginning of what this is going to entail. And I pray that it will be a time of encouragement as we look at this man's life. The difficulties he went through and the courage that you gave him. The strength that you did and the way you answered prayer. Help us to live like Elijah and to be used by you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.